invite you to turn with me to the Gospel of John, the 8th chapter, portions that were just read for us as uh, we celebrate today the transfiguration of Jesus Christ. It climaxes, it concludes the season of Epiphany with the light of Christ going out to the nations, most pointedly seen, observed by the disciples on that mountain of transfiguration. And so we have Jesus saying, I am the light of the world. It's very fitting here. Jesus opens and closes our section of John 8 this morning with two claims of I am. He says, I am the light of the world. It's an echo of chapter 1 where John recounts creation. But here in Jesus, who is the light, which is the life of all men. His last words in our section, chapter 8, have before Abraham was, I am. And that one anticipates even Thomas's confession of Jesus, saying, my Lord and my God. Perhaps Jesus' clearest claim to, I, to deity here. So in reading John, we're asking week in and week out with those who the letter is written to, who is this Jesus? And Jesus takes upon himself the name by which God revealed himself to Moses and to Israel, Yahweh, I am he does this in order that we might behold Jesus as the most precious gem from many angles, his brilliant light emanating forth to lead us, to embrace us, to free us, that we might find life in him and life to the full. So that's our aim this morning, to look at the precious jewel who is Jesus Christ, that his light might shine in us and through us for the life of the world. To that end, will you join me with a word of prayer? Heavenly Father, we are grateful that you have given us your word that Jesus, you are present with us now. Open our eyes to see and our ears to hear and our hearts to receive that which you have for us, that you would not leave us to our own devices, but transform us more into your image through your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, <clears throat> you don't have to read far into the Gospels to realize that Jesus has never read the book, you know, um, How to Win Friends and, and Influence People. He never read that book. Because he's not making friends, and he's not influencing people for his benefit. Our chapter 8 here begins and ends with religious leaders just picking up stones, ready to kill somebody. And Jesus is at the center of both uproars here. What is Jesus doing? What is he claiming or saying that draws such ire from these religious professionals and yet adoration from sinners? What is he doing? What is he saying? Chapter 8 is a back-and-forth dialogue with scribes and Pharisees. And throughout, they're asking Jesus the very question that John's been helping us ask throughout. They're, they're asking him, what do you say, Jesus? They ask him, who are you? They even ask him, aren't you a Samaritan, a heretic? Don't you have a demon? Who do you make yourself out to be? Again, John 8 is all about identity. Who is this Jesus. And so Jesus begins pretty forthrightly in verse 12. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. It's a cosmic claim to be the light of the world, a divine claim. He takes on the name of Yahweh. I am, I am the source of light by which the world can see. And beneath that claim of who he is, there is a slight against those who reject him. Whoever does not follow Jesus, in a sense, is walking in 
darkness. This, those who walk in darkness do not have light. They do not have life. A few weeks back, remember when Nicodemus comes to Jesus? In the dark, it is night. And yet he saw a flicker of divine flame in Jesus. That was enough that we see he follows Jesus the rest of this gospel account. Jesus' accusers, those who come to test him, they remain in the dark and they seek to overcome the light. Verse 13. So the Pharisees said to him, you are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. There we go. John's gospel is about identity of Jesus. It's about bearing witness to who Jesus is. What follows in chapter 8 is very much like a courtroom scene. And, and here prosecutors are denying the chief witness who is Jesus Christ because he's only witnessing about himself. And in Jewish law, you've got to have two witnesses to validate what's being said. But there's only Jesus, and that's not fair. That's not acceptable. And they call Jesus on it. Say, you're bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony isn't true. So Jesus continues on in verse 18. I am the one who bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. They said to him, therefore, where is your father? Jesus answered, you know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father as well. Ah, so Jesus says he's his witness, and then the Father in heaven is his witness. And that just seems not fair to the Pharisees here. They call him on that as well. But the reality is if God the Father is bearing witness to who Jesus is, how many more witnesses do you need? He is truth himself. To test, they, they try to test Jesus, but in, in so testing, he turns the tables on them. They seek a clear confession, more words of blasphemy so they can stone him. But rather than take the bait, Jesus turns the tables on them. And he says, hey, you don't know my father. The reason you're asking about him is because you don't know him. Look, if you would know the, the father, you would certainly know the father's son, right? See the resemblance? But you don't know the son, and therefore you don't know the father either. His statement condemns the Pharisees to ignorance of God the Father. Jesus is not making friends, nor is he influencing them for his own good. Many there wanted to silence him, but as John tells us, none arrested him. Why? Was it their kindness and patience? Verse 20, these words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple, but no one arrested him because they were nice fellows. Their conscience got the better of them. Jesus was slippery. He said, his hour had not yet come. Why was Jesus spared? In the same way as the wedding in Cana of Galilee, my time has not yet come. My hour is not yet here. The light of the world would know the darkness of death's cold tomb. But the hour was not yet, and the light of the world still shines. Verse 21. So he said to them again, I am going away and you will seek me and you will die in your sin. Where I am going, you cannot come. So the Jews said, will he kill himself since he says where I am going, you cannot come? What an exchange, isn't it? The, the, the Pharisees, they're not exactly sure where he comes from. Different things have been said. Maybe Nazareth, uh, Samaria, Galilee. Maybe he comes from the devil. They don't know where he's going either. What road could Jesus travel that their feet could not traverse? Their two legs could go any place that his legs could carry them, surely, unless it be, unless it be the grave. 
Maybe Jesus is speaking of his own death here, they reason, and they're not all wrong. Verse 23, he said to them, you are from below, I am from above, you are of this world, I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. Now, Jesus begins to fill out his words a little bit more. I am the light of the world. What is the darkness that doesn't overcome him? What is the darkness that he overcomes? Darkness is sin, and Jesus is the way of life. The thing that hinders the Pharisees and the scribes from following in this life and why they can't go to the place where he is going is because they are dead in trespass and sin. Jesus claims that failure to follow him in this life is a dying in one's sin. Now, who is he to claim this? Remember John chapter 3, not too many weeks back. One must be born again. One must be born from above. And here we have that echoed in verse 23. Jesus is the born from above one. He is the one sent by the Father about whom God the Father bears witness, who has authority and wisdom to judge rightly because he is not of this world, but he is from above. He contrasts himself with those who come to stand above him, to judge him, to accuse, and to test him. They cannot follow him because they are merely from below. They cannot return with him unless, unless they hide themselves in him, unless they abide in the one who is born from above. They will soon indeed raise him up on the cross, and they will bury him, but then the Father will raise him. And he will continue to invite others. And yet, they refuse to come to the light. So verse 25. So they said to him, who are you? And Jesus said, just what I've been telling you from the beginning. Don't you love those interactions? Who are you? Look, I've been talking about it the whole time. Right? Listen up. He reminds them of what he's been saying. But they remain in darkness. Yeah, that's the light of the world. Unable to see the light, they are blinded in their sin. So Jesus has to identify himself a little more clearly. He has to shine the light a little more directly. Verse 28, Jesus said to them, When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am He, and that I do nothing of my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me. And He who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. As he was saying these things, many believed in him. In John's telling of the story of Jesus, the cross is an exaltation. The cross is an ascension. That those testers, those accusers will lift him up. He will ascend the cross. Today we celebrate the transfiguration where the disciples ascend the mountain with Jesus and they behold his glory more clearly, more pointedly, more blindingly. The darkness that they walked in before that mountain became light. It was so glorious that they themselves were transformed. And another transfiguration is coming and Jesus talks about it here where Jew and Gentile alike will see Jesus' glory when they lift up the Son of Man. His light will shine so that even darkness of death cannot overcome. When you lift up the Son of Man, then you'll see He is the light of the world. 
We gather weekly. We renew covenant with our God. We receive God's word, his sacrament, that we might be bathed in the light of Christ's glory. And then having been bathed in the, the light of Christ's glory, we would depart in his light to bring peace to a world at war. So, Jesus confesses that when sinners will lift him up on the cross, that the Father would be there with him. And Jesus' obedience here is even to the point of death, and that is pleasing to him. Isaiah talked about that. He said, it is the will of the Lord to crush him. Jesus, for the joy set before him, endured the cross. Jesus was to be lifted up, first in death, and then in resurrection, life. Now, there are a lot there who were hearing Jesus' teaching, and John just gives us this little note, many believed in him. That's the purpose of this letter, that many would hear, many would believe in him. And so Jesus looks at those who believe and continues on, verse 31. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. This is another one of John's favorite themes, abide. We'll get to it here in a few weeks more clearly. Abide and remain with Jesus' word. This is what it is to walk by faith, to follow the light of the world, to live in Jesus. Abide in my word, said Jesus. When you abide in my word, a couple of things will follow. He says, you will know the truth. That's good because I'm not good at jeopardy. I would like to ace tests when they come. I love to read people's minds. I would love to know all the truth. But God doesn't promise omniscience here. He promises that truth is a person. Come to know the truth. You come to know in relationship this person who is the way, the truth, and the life. To follow Jesus, to walk in his light is to walk in truth. And then knowing the truth, you will be set free. We love it. We love being set free. But free in what way? Don't you love their response here? <clears throat> In verse 33, they say, We are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? And they say, free? We don't need to be free. And you look around, you're like, well, these Roman occupiers, they're just kind of friends of ours, kind of here just for a little while. Yeah, you know, our forefathers, maybe they were exiled to Babylon, Assyria, you know, but they weren't. That was kind of their choice, you know. And the, Egypt... 400-year vacation, okay? We've never been slaves before. And Jesus says, well, yeah, I'm talking of a slavery and a freedom that you still know nothing about. Sinners don't see their bondage nor the light of their salvation. Verse 34, Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free Indeed, I know that you are the offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. He's speaking of a, a freedom, of a bondage to sin and freedom from that sin. In the words of the old Negro spiritual, let's sing of this freedom, free at last, free at last. Thanks God Almighty, I'm free at last. Not because of heritage, children of Abraham, but by coming to the Son, who is the light of the world, basking in the light of God's glory in the face of Jesus Christ. For the Son can set you free, is what Jesus is saying. Right now you remain slaves to sin because all who practice sin are slaves to sin. That is all of humanity. And more than slavery to sin, he goes on to say, you're not sons of the Father, you are sons of your father, the devil. Not making friends, verse 44. 
you are your father the devil and your will, you are of your father the devil and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I tell you the truth, you do not believe in me. The contrast is clear. I'm giving you my words. You're not believing in these words because you're not a son of the heavenly father. You are a son of the devil. In the same way that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, so right judgment, true freedom, and life to the full begin only as we walk in the light. See, the serpent tempted our first parents in the garden with lies, murdered them in his cursed deception. So all who murder and lie by that reason are sons of the devil as those who practice sin are slaves to sin. This is Jesus' argument here. He's saying basically that your familial patronymic is not Abraham, but the accuser, the liar, the deceiver, the murderer, the devil. But what lies, what lies are they saying? Verse 48. The Jews answered him, Are we not right in saying that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? Right? We don't trust you, but witness, testify to us. You, you're, you're from Samaria, a heretic, right? You have, you have a demon. Isn't, are we understanding this correctly? This is who we believe you to be. A heretic, a devil, a glutton, a drunk, a blasphemer. I mean, Jesus throughout the course of history has been given many names. And his claims would be from other lips blasphemous. But he identifies himself as the light of the world. And sinners would call him darkness. Yet the true light gives life to all men. If we skip ahead to verse 51. We see Jesus. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. The Jews said to him, now we know that you have a demon. Abraham died, as did the prophets. Yet you say, if anyone keeps my word. make yourself out to be who do you make yourself out to be the light which gives life to all men philosophers write of a sickness that is worse than death a dying death a second
some who believe what we were saying earlier, they pick up stones after he says, before Abraham was, I am. They pick up stones. What did they hear? They heard a claim to deity. Pentecost, alighting humble servants with the light of the world. In Christ, we become beacons of his light and our confidence to hold fast to our Savior. Though the nations rage and the kingdoms plot against Christ and his people, our confidence to hold fast is that the darkness, the darkness will not overcome it. And so, we remain patient and hopeful as we dimly flicker Christ's light, knowing that despisers and rejectors will walk in darkness. So open their eyes, we pray. Shine your light through us, we beg. But we don't mince words either. For what they reject and what they refuse to and insult is God himself, as Jesus said, before Abraham was, I am. 
So conflict continues to increase throughout this gospel letter for Jesus. And as we shine his light, conflict will increase for us. But we do not fear, for the light of the world is come. And he comes to lead us, one simple obedience to the next. The light has come to embrace us. United in his spirit, we are given life. And in that life, we too will be lifted up as Jesus was lifted up, broken to be given for the life of the world. So that as little fractured lights of God's glory, we go out to the world. And in faithfulness to the light of the world, one day, we like Jesus will be lifted up by the Father as well. To dwell unabashedly in the place with no sun, no moon, no stars. Where the sun is the everlasting light of glory. The true, final, and everlasting life of the world. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we're grateful for your word, and now we pray, having heard it, having received it, would we be transformed into the image of your dear Son, that as we depart this place, we might shine forth your light for your glory and the life of the world. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.